Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, is it too early to open up the border between the United States and Canada? I think the two countries have different opinions on this. And we talked to someone who is actually suffering from COVID-19 and the painful symptoms that come along with it. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in uh, Minister of Long-Term Care for the Ontario government, Marilee Fullerton, and she is with us now. Mary Lee, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're very welcome. What more can you tell us about uh, how you can restaff or staff the situation that is happening in long-term care, uh, the elderly and the vulnerable? Where, where are those bodies going to come from? How do we get more boots on the ground there? Thank you. So, you know, looking back over the number of years, there has been a shortage that was pre-existing in our, in our long-term care homes in terms of personal support workers. And, and as soon as we were made the Ministry of Long-Term Care, we became... Um, very active on that file, looking at ways to shore that up. And, of course, with this pandemic, it's made it so much more acute. And so we're looking at uh, redeploying hospital and home care um, workers into long-term care homes. That's the first part. Our hospitals have done reasonably well so far uh, in this situation and that there is capacity there. We'll have to be very careful how that progresses and, and make sure we're monitoring their capacity very carefully but that's one area. The next area is the matching portal. So uh, the province of Ontario, our government, has put forward a matching portal for people in healthcare so that they can be redeployed um, into our long-term care homes and other areas. And this is working very well. And the uh, most recent addition to this is the federal uh, government portal. Uh, That's fairly recent in the last few days. Um, And we're looking at... uh, assisting our homes who already had either existing challenges, making sure that their existing staff is supported, and also for those homes who might be facing um, some shift because of the uh, the new requirement, uh, emergency order mandating uh, workers to work in one long-term care home only. So re- re- realizing those have to be taken together. Staffing is such a critical piece. And uh, if I can just mention right now how incredibly important um, and valued all our frontline uh, workers are in in uh, long-term care and and elsewhere in our hospitals and everywhere, um, making sure that our residents and our patients can get the care they need. Uh, Minister Fullerton is with us, uh, long-term care for the Ontario government. Um, uh, you know, we've certainly uh, heard the stories of, of care workers, personal care workers, uh, personal support workers that have had to go from place to place to place. Uh, that certainly isn't their choice. It's a case of they can get as many hours as they can to try to, uh, you know, assimilate a week. What is this going to do for the pay scale of these workers moving forward? Will they now be paid more so they don't have to do this sort of thing? Well, you've heard the, the Premier say everything is on the table. I echo that. Everything is on the table. We need to understand um, how we can support our frontline PSWs and other workers in our long-term care homes um, to the best of our ability. And uh, this is something that's um, very important for the sector. We've heard this loudly and clearly. And uh, we understand the need to support our staff in whether it's personal protective equipment whether it's making sure we can get additional staff in there to keep them from burning out, uh, or whether it's wages and compensation, and we need to be looking at everything. Everything is on the table. Although COVID-19 is certainly new for years, we've been hearing about the understaffing issues and and, and many of the issues that have gone on in these uh, facilities and and long-term care homes and such. How is this going to change this industry post-COVID-19. How are we going to look at, because when you think about it, the baby boomer population is just starting to make its way through into that demographic. So this is going to go on for 20, 30 years. How are, How is this going to change things moving forward? Yes, it's certainly not a bubble. This is a, a long-term plan, and, and that's exactly what our ministry was tasked with, to really create a vision for long-term care for the 20th, 21st century, a modern long-term care system that has easier transition that really puts the, the, the resident at the center, treats them with respect and dignity, uh, addresses the staffing shortage. And you may know that, that our um, ministry had already undertaken a staffing study to inform a comprehensive strategy for, for long-term care uh, home staffing. And this was front of mind when this pandemic hit. So we had been taking measures from 
uh, as soon as we became a dedicated ministry, knowing full well uh, this long-term care sector needs to be um, brought up to modern standards and had been neglected, neglected for many, many years. And, uh, and now that this pandemic has hit, it is a vicious virus, and uh, certainly our long-term care homes on, their, on the front lines of this attack by COVID-19, and it, it will accelerate uh, our need to uh, redevelop, bring up our homes to modern design standards, and uh, continue on with the, the work that we were doing in an accelerated way. Uh, last question, Minister. I know you got to run. Um, uh, we've heard lots about equipment. What about uh, personal protective equipment in these homes? Does the, does the staff, do these staffs have enough to do the job? Yeah, so as you know, uh, there had been supply issues. The whole world was competing for PPE, masks, gloves, gowns. And uh, right now we're doing a very good job working with our homes to make sure that they have enough supply. Uh, for a number of days. We have to make sure that that is shared so that nobody goes short until our supply lines are are, um, significantly improved. But everyone can get the supplies they need. Uh, The homes have directives in terms of who to approach uh, and how that can get done. So that's, and and we're also adding uh, what we call, um, you know, a SWAT team. So so hospitals will be supporting our long-term care homes and whether it's uh, in need of staff or whether it's in need of infection control uh, practices and, and improvement. Uh, there is a real movement in our uh, most recent action plan on managing outbreaks. And this is a germ never seen before in the world. All long-term care homes across, across the world are impacted by this. And we're, t- we're making more changes and additional support to prevent COVID uh, from doing the damage it has across the world. Minister of Long-Term Care, Marilee Fullerton, has been with us, uh, Government of Ontario. Minister, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, What is it like to battle COVID-19, the virus? Let's bring in Steve Jacobs, former TV news reporter and anchor, and is with us now. Steve, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Well, it's day 16 for me, uh, And uh, I guess one of the key responses to that question is uh, COVID-19 toys with you. The symptoms, and in my case, but it doesn't, vacillate from hour to hour, day to day. Uh, uh, There's been a couple of mornings in the last uh, 16 that, uh, you know, I've woken up without uh, wet sheets and, uh, you know, wet hair from night sweats and a fever of 102 and, you know, thought, you know, okay, uh aha, maybe overnight I beat it. And then within an hour, uh, there's a raging uh, feeling of forest fire in my lungs, uh, itchy, blurred vision in my left eye, chills. Uh, sore throat, um, elevated uh, fever, um, and the list goes on and on. How did this start for you? I attended, and I'm quite certain of this, and the organizers of the convention that I attended about a month ago, middle middle March, um, uh, a major international convention, so dozens and dozens of booths, and pavilions, and a lot of handshaking, and of course, all of the hospitality suites that follow. And uh, I'm pretty certain that um, uh, that was my point of contact. And uh, again, the organizers of that convention uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, sent out uh, an email to all attendees mentioning that uh, they're quite certain that they've confirmed that uh, there were a few attendees, heads up, and uh, if you're feeling any of the symptoms, the classic symptoms, you know, get checked out because you may have been exposed. What was it like for you to be tested and then confirmed? Uh, wildly uh, frightening. And, of course, every day waking up and, uh, you know, we're all, you know, whether you're positive or negative, you know, we're all basically bombarded with wall-to-wall, uh, you know, death tolls and the devastation, uh, both uh, not only of life, but of way of life. And 
economic life, et cetera, uh, i.e. today. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I try to leapfrog some mornings some of the uh, headlines just so I can open mail, but it's pretty hard to when, you know, bang, right in your face, you've got like today 51 new, uh, you know, virus deaths in Ontario. So very close to home, and of course, over the lake, uh, not too far the way the crow flies, uh, you know what's going on in New York State. So it's, 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 it's tremendously frightening on a day-to-day basis, and painful as well, because of the uh, symptoms that, that vary greatly from hour to hour. So at what stage are you now? What's the prognosis moving forward? So I've assembled a, a pretty good team, two, three medical practitioners that they've been checking in with me and I think for their own research, taking stats and I've been keeping logs, uh, BP, body temperature and so on and sharing that with them. So it's, it's, it's important to know if people don't know already that it's very common for people to be asymptomatic not showing any signs, feeling great for 7 to 14 days. That, in my case, was the case. So I didn't really, again, the the conference was in the middle of March, uh, felt fine, but I was basically carrying the uh, virus. And then uh, about the 30th or the 31st of March, I, uh, while brushing my teeth, this massive chill came over me from head to toe. Uh, like nothing I've ever experienced. And I thought, whoa, whoa, okay, well, I just got up. Maybe, you know, it's not cold in here. I, I don't have the AC on, but okay. And that's where it started. And then by the 1st of April, um, I was very symptomatic, um, aches, pains, uh, fever, and that um, incessant raging forest fire in my lungs that that varies from hour to hour morning to p.m uh, from mild to moderate and sometimes up to severe it's a squeezing and again fiery sensation uh advice for others we've only got about 30 seconds left sure uh the best advice is uh you know heed the warnings that are hitting you in the face wherever you go stores that are open um, you know, practice distancing, follow what you're reading, uh, wear a mask. You could be asymptomatic. You could be walking around like I was and not know it. We're all in this together. And if you're not out, there's no reason to be out. Stay home. Hmm. Steve Jacobs is with this former TV news anchor and reporter. Steve, uh, you take care of yourself. Thank you so much for sharing their story. And if you don't mind, we'll touch back with you every so often just to see how you're doing. Good luck to you. Not a problem. Thank you. You know, again, we, we hear about it in the distance, but how often do you get to hear someone who is actually suffering from it? And it does not sound pleasant. So uh, SARS, we do know scientifically, we've had professors on talk about this, where it came from. It was traced back to a uh, open wet uh, food market, very similar animal market, very similar to the situation in Wuhan. Wuhan, we suspect that's where it's, it came from. That's what evidence is pointing to right now. Uh, conference on exact uh, cause of this we don't have yet as we do have with SARS uh, and there are a tremendous amount of similarities with the two uh, the US military says that it's likely the coronavirus is not man-made however there is enough indecision there uh, to let the conspiracy theories run rampant uh, let's bring in professor uh, Narveen Jandu University of Waterloo and is with us now Narveen thank you so much for taking the time much appreciated Thank you for having me, and I'm happy to answer any questions that I can. And I hope you're doing well during all of this time. Yes, doing well. uh, Just a little chilly with the change in the weather, but otherwise doing well. And same to you. I hope you're doing well. We are, and thank you. Uh, So what are your thoughts when we start to hear conspiracy theories? Again, uh, scientifically, we do know how SARS started. We're almost sure how this started. It certainly traces back to Wuhan and that wet food market. What are your thoughts on the conspiracy theories? So I would go back to the scientific data and the evidence and the reports that have shown the genomic sequence of COVID-19. And there was a beautiful report that was published last month in Nature Medicine, and they had shown that the sequence most closely resembles that of bat coronavirus, um, and as opposed to, say, SARS or MERS. 
Uh, and so that provides one pretty strong um, line of evidence that it's of natural origin and it came from the natural world and that being the natural origin of this virus. So why are those running to uh, conspiracy theories? I guess uh, the U.S. military said uh, there is a small, slight chance, but from that, the rumors start. Um, What are the arguments around it being man-made? Well, so I would argue against that and argue for the fact that the scientific evidence indicates that it is of natural origin. Um, And then if we look back to the reports of the sequence data and the sequence information, we see if it was an artificially um, created uh, virus, the genome would then most closely resemble, and especially the backbone of the genome, it would most closely resemble that of a previously pathogenic virus that was running rampant in the human population. And we know that SARS was one of those, and MERS would be another example of that. Um, But in fact, when we look at the sequence data, we see the greatest resemblance, 90% or greater, with that of the bat coronavirus. So that would tell us that it is, again, of natural origin and not, um, and, and hopefully help to debunk any of these conspiracy theories. How similar is this to SARS? How similar is COVID-19 to SARS? How, how different is it? So we've seen anywhere from 70 to 80 percent, whereas the resemblance to bat coronavirus is going to be around 90 percent or greater. So So what do we know? Yeah. So what do we know about how COVID-19 started? What do we know so far? Yeah. And so we also have to take into account some of the characteristics of a virus and how it transitions from its original reservoir bats and then into the animal population and then into the human population. So it takes a variety of different events and interactions that are happening amongst the three different populations. And then ultimately, we'll see that from initially, it'll go from the bat into an intermediary animal population, the pangolin. That's the one that's cited as the probable intermediary host from then it then transitioned into the human population. And so with a variety of different interactions between humans, the natural world, with the animal population, we see repeated events of interactions and potential contact of the virus with the human population. And then over time, so it doesn't, it typically doesn't happen as an overnight event, but over time, the virus slowly changes, mutates, and then adapts to be able to get in contact with human cells, infect human cells, and then cause pathogenesis. Uh, So it does take a series of events, and it does take place over time, and and not necessarily an overnight event. So from what we know, can this C-19 virus be traced back to that wild food market in Wuhan and uh, the pangolin? So that's what... Some reports have shown that, that it's gone back to the wet market and the pangolins. Um, but there are some reports indicating that there might have been uh, an individual that was infected and hadn't had contact with the wet food market. And that could be related to some early com- uh, community transmission that might have been taking place before it was realized that there might have been community transmission taking place. Subsequent reports have also shown that it isn't necessarily just one viral strain that might be circulating. There might be at least two viral strains that are circulating. And with these two different viral strains, they could have differing levels of infectivity and transmissibility, which might also account for um, greater numbers of cases in in certain uh, locations as opposed to less in other locations. I remember when I first had a scientist explain to me how SARS all started, I, I just remember saying, this is un- incredible, and to which her response yeah. was, well, that's science. That's the great thing about science. So it is pretty clear uh, the origins of, uh, of a lot of these, uh, the, you know, and COVID-19 com- cannot be, be completely explained at this point because the investigation isn't over. Um, mm-hmm. but, but how do these conspiracy theories start when, if you do a little bit of research, there's a lot of science behind all of this? Yeah, so I couldn't speak to how the conspiracy theories start. I'm on the scientific side of things, as you can imagine. And so I look at the scientific evidence and the data that supports uh, where the viruses came from, looking at the sequences, looking at other 
um, characteristics of the virus, such as the spike protein, and then understanding the fact that a virus needs to undergo a few rounds of mutations and evolution before it can actually come into contact with the human cells and cause that infection to take place. Uh, so this is, this is how the natural world works, and this is the natural process of a virus getting into humans and causing infection. It is fascinating and usually pretty explainable. Professor uh, Narveen Jandu has been with us, University of Waterloo. Uh, thank you so much for the time, Naverne, or Narveen. Much appreciated. We will chat again on this. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Prime Minister giving his uh, address to the nation at 11.15, as he does every day uh, the, uh, as well. And here's what the uh, the Prime Minister had to say in regard to meeting with the premiers and more money for health care workers. Tonight, uh, I will be speaking with the premiers and we will be talking directly about how to ensure better protection for uh, our elders in long-term care. It is um, impossible to imagine the anguish families and indeed our elders are going through in this situation. There is just so much fear, so much uncertainty. We need to do a better job of being there for them. The federal government is looking at ways to support the provinces as they deal with this issue. Uh, We're we're discussing uh, pay top-ups for people who work in those uh, situations because the the conditions are getting uh, more and more difficult. Uh, There are also more regulations we can talk about bringing in to do a better job of protecting our most vulnerable. I think that's what Canadians expect. And the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, had his uh, press conference in the 1 o'clock hour. Here's what he had to say about the upcoming meeting, uh, meetings with the Prime Minister and the Premiers. So we're going to be on a conversation with the, the Premiers and the Prime Minister this afternoon. We're also going to bring this discussion to the Cabinet table uh, after that meeting and see how uh, we can support these, these uh, folks there. Uh, we do need the support of the federal government, as I mentioned yesterday and uh, we'll see what they bring to the table. But I, I think they uh, definitely need some support, both both uh, the businesses and, and landlords. Uh, yesterday, you might remember, uh, and again, pretty much as every day, the Prime Minister and all leaders getting just hammered with the question, when's this going to end? When are we going to open things up? And as the Prime Minister said yesterday, uh, ain't going to happen anytime soon, folks, because the backside of this curve is just as dangerous as the upside of this curve. And uh, it's going to take a couple more weeks for that to uh, for us to get to the bottom. And then, uh, you know, obviously a vaccination until we're completely out of the woods. Uh, that being said, chatter in uh, coming out of the U.S. yesterday in regard to opening the borders between Canada and the United States, which I think has a lot of Canadians freaking out, considering uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, um, uh, well, there's a lot of divisiveness, say that, let's say that. Not a lot of unity in keeping this under control, and we're even seeing protests in some states about the lockdown. So uh, I don't think Canadians uh, are uh, in the mood to open any borders at this point. That being said, uh, it is something that uh, politically one has to juggle, as well as uh, from a uh, from a governance standpoint with, with the people who you are trying to, uh, you're trying to keep safe. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Abacus Data, and has served to uh, advisors to many leaders and is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. Where we are now, uh, obviously a lot of people getting antsy and, and want the doors to swing open. We know that can happen. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on the rumblings about the border being opened down and, and that are coming from south of the border? Yeah, that, that's a harder one, right? Um, because the border is open for essential services and the movement, and part of that is all the movement of goods and services that happen. Um, it, Trump does seem more antsy than others to get the U.S. economy going. Uh, Trudeau, in his press conference, who played a few moments ago, was you know trying to skate around all of that and then not kick up a fight, but. It is one they're going to have to manage carefully because uh, Trump seems to be driving towards a May 1st opening of large parts of the American economy. Um, and for that economy to hum, that border also needs to work. So uh, uncertain, Scott, it's, it's probably causing the, the government a good degree of uh, anxiety. 
And what would be the hurry? I mean, as you mentioned, it's essential services, trade, that's still happening. Even workers who are going back and forth, I understand that's still going on. So what is the hurry to open it up to non-essential travel? Well, I I mean, I assume uh, Trump is um, looking at uh, his tourism sector as as he's looking at, uh, well, he probably doesn't look at other tourism sectors, but every tourism sector around the world is getting pounded. Uh, you're coming up to a summer season. Uh, lots of Canadians do go across to the United States, and Americans come over here too. And uh, people in the U.S. work in tourism. I mean, he may want, uh, he may hope that by opening the border, that that will start to unfold naturally. I think it's also symbolic. I think Trump um, has taken the mentality that you know what. Um, this isn't as bad as it is. It is. I need yeah. to respond to people who want to work. Um, people, this will people will develop herd immunity. So I, I, I think there's some actual economic pressures, and then there's some symbolic political pressures that uh, are driving his uh, his current uh, focus on the border. So we can certainly see why he's uh, promoting that, because if the borders open, see, look, everything's okay, as you just uh, alluded to. However, uh, it takes two to tango here. So what happens if U.S. wants border open early? Canada doesn't want border open early. Well, How can... You can only go where you can't get across then. Uh, so does that start some other sort of trade conflict? Is does Trump force Trudeau's hand on, in, in, in another way, right? I mean, it, it is up to Canada in the end who we let in or don't. Uh, and so we do control that. We don't have to admit anybody if we don't want to, quite simply. Um, so it, it would create a significant irritation. And we saw, you know, what irritation did before when Trump couldn't get his masks is in 95 masks there was a you know a four or five day week long what what have you a blow up over all of that so it creates a, a point may create a point of conflict and do we need a point of conflict or another point of conflict at this juncture perhaps you know some of the governors on the um, on on the border with the border states those in you know michigan washington the dakotas uh, might also say to the president, hey, uh, we uh, we don't want you to open this yet. So there's still a few elements to play play out here. How odd is this when you come to think of it, Tim, that here's a guy who's been building walls. Now he's trying to climb over the wall to get out into our country. It's the reverse. But, uh, Scott, should you ever start a question about Donald Trump, which it begins with how odd is it? I mean, the, you know, whether you like the guy, you don't like the guy. He's not the conventional style of politician, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. He did want to build a wall around Mexico, but he seems to like us. I mean, the, the it, I, I think the, the challenge that our prime minister has is you know, trying to manage the human psyche here. Trump has taken the opposite approach. He's feeding yeah. right into it, right? Like, enough of this. We've been at it for four weeks. Numbers are going down. You know, we're getting sick of these press conferences. We need our lives back. Whereas the prime minister is saying, whoa, 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 hold on now. I know the sun's coming out. I know summer's coming. I know people are getting edgy, but it could get worse. So they're going in two different directions that way. And <laughs> I guess the border is keeping them both apart right now. But where this goes, I don't know. Um, I, I think part of what the prime minister is doing is is, is standard political communication, setting mm-hmm. out you know significantly harsh and strong terms, uh, only to maybe backtrack a little bit sooner and and win some political praise for that. I'm sure that's what he would like to do. And he can't go wrong telling people to be safe. Um, That uh, prevents him from perhaps getting the criticism Trump will eventually get if there's another outbreak. Uh, But you know reporters in the U.S. today are going to take what uh, the prime minister has said today and and report back to Donald Trump and say they're not opening the borders. They're not going to do any of this until they're concerned and they're ahead of us. How do you think Donald Trump's going to react to that question? Well, you might say, well, well, whatever, Canada can do whatever the hell they want. You know, maybe I'll throw a tariff on here and a tariff there. (laughs) I mean, again... uh, 
rub his hair. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, we just, unless the Americans plan to invade us, which they haven't done since the War of 1812, um, you know, uh, we control our who comes in and who comes out of the country. The disadvantage for Trudeau, the, the economic disadvantage, could be the U.S. powers back significantly. And... Uh, you know, where the disadvantage would be would, you know, again, be the political pressure that would come if people go back to work. The coronavirus is generally under control. Unemployment rates go down. The pressure is going to mount on Trudeau to say, well, you know, maybe Trump's on to something there, though that would be strange if Canadians said that because they're not fond of the president. But that's where some pressure points could actually lie. Do Canadians want this? Do Cana- I'm guessing the majority of Canadians, considering the polling we've seen to date about you know how they feel about how uh, premiers and the prime minister are governing this, and how they have confidence in their institution, I, institutions. I can't see Canada wanting Canadians wanting this border open anytime soon. Yeah, I, I look. I've seen some recent data from our firm uh, Abacus, and I've seen it from others that say Canadians are quite content with a gradual, responsible, public health-driven approach to all this. Look, even Canada's leading um, business advocacy body, the Council of Canadian Chief Executives, is uh, out this afternoon saying, giving, giving Trudeau cover, saying, look, Prime Minister, in a public letter they released, take your time, make sure it's a gradual process, make sure all the health um metrics work for it to happen make sure that there are you know testing available and aggressive contact tracing is available if you're going to do this so uh, trump uh, trudeau is getting protection from his business community who would normally be the one saying hey we need to get back to work because we're losing a pile of money even in the u.s my understanding from, you know, God forbid, I watch CNN, Scott, and CNN's reportage suggests that the chief executives that Trump has counseled have said the same thing. Look, we don't want to bring our employees back in until it's safe for them. Uh, we have testing and, and we have equipment uh, to make sure that if they work in a space where um, they're going to be closer together, that they have the, the, the PPE, the personal protective equipment to use. So, Trump's hearing that from his own business people, but he's kind of playing to his normal populist crowd that says, hey, there's not much to this. We're all tough. You know, you can go roll in the dirt and cut your knee open and you won't get sick. Well, same is true here. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the World Health Organization. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, I guess the World Health Organization, one of Donald Trump's latest targets uh, in questioning uh, their, he called it being China-centric and late to report certain facts talking about pausing funding to them uh, until this is all investigated. Uh, is this politics or are these valid questions? I think it's a bit of both, right? I mean, look, uh, I was reading, you know, I still read old magazines, Scott, from time to time, and I somehow it, it just opened a March edition of the uh, one of the McLean's magazines. Or I guess it would be the only one now they publish in March. And uh, they were reporting in that magazine that uh, uh Canadians were less concerned and the virus was contained and a lot of the, the, that reporting was driven by data that was coming from, you know, our own health agency informed by the World Health Organization. Um, so I don't know if the China-centric thing is entirely fair, uh, to be blunt, but there are certainly questions that need to be asked of the WHO and uh you know, who are they? Ha ha ha. They'll play on words there. And uh, and what what was really what they knew and what they didn't know. And then, of course, the Chinese. I mean, it seems to be wide, widely reported, again, at least in Western media. So take that for what it is, that the Chinese were withholding facts. So, the, yeah, there's a lot of accountability that uh, needs to be meted out uh, going forward so we can get better at preventing these pandemics. Does do the Chinese have too much influence over the World Health Organization? Uh, well, I mean, there. I think I've said this to you on your program. Again, I don't know the precise answer to this, but again, with with data and modeling, uh, as you know, garbage in, garbage out. So if you're not giving the organization the right amount of data, or you're holding back, and I don't know if that was or wasn't the case then it's hard for the organization to, to model all of that. I mean, I think I've seen one great suggestion um, 
made by the new Canadian ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, and his point was for countries like Canada, the U.S. reinstate, because we did have one, I guess, before, a public health official in some of these countries in embassies where um, pandemics have, uh, where viruses have emerged before and threatened uh, the health and well-being of, of certain countries. So you, know, you can crap on the who, and maybe that's deserved, uh, but uh, but I think you also have to take on your own degree of responsibility. And you know, true, true uh, Trump, excuse me, focusing on the who. Uh, takes away um, some of the criticism that uh, he's getting at home for also right, being asleep at yeah, the wheel. And, that, and that's obviously the concern from where, you know, the words coming out of his mouth is that he, he always seems to have ulterior motives, so you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. What does the World Health Organization have to do to address these concerns, which, uh, you know, although uh, many are praising Trump for his actions, they're certainly not backing down on his concerns. Well, even Trudeau didn't dismiss them yesterday. He's taken the the approach that, look, yeah, uh, definitely, you know, there are things we are going to have to look at, which from him at this time is probably a stern criticism, right? Um, I think member countries, maybe they don't need to do right now what the U.S. is doing, because perhaps the WHO has righted its, its ship, the World Health Organization has righted its ship, but uh, they, they do need to determine whether, you know, this is the right body going forward. Are they, in fact, overly influenced by the Chinese? I mean, a full introspection of all of that. And if the World Health Organization wants to protect itself on a go-forward basis, it should welcome a full uh, examination of its uh, practices and a full audit of how it performed here. Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Abacus Data. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well during this time. You do, you also, I think we're going to talk about the who again. Let's play some pinball with her. Cause you know what? Next time we'll right come in now. with that. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you, Tim. Be well. Let's bring in Graham Rockingham, a former music journalist with a Hamilton Spectator. He's now retired, but he's still offering to come on the odd time, and we love him for that. Graham, thanks for the time. Glad you're here. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I couldn't have picked a better time to retire, actually, Scott. It's like a good time to get to know my neighborhood. Oh, man. Putting together playlists and cooking and... Yeah. You, you must be saying no, your neighbors. What, are you people retired too? What's the problem here? <laughs> because it seems everyone is now. Yeah. But I, uh, it, it, I mean, I've been taking... Uh, morning walks every day around the neighborhoods. Uh, I'm in uh, yeah. Durand, and it's a beautiful place to, to go and spend some time. And, and uh, mm-hmm. if you, I, I find that if you pick the right times, like I, I go early in the morning, the streets are pretty yeah. much empty, and it's easy. Yeah, that's what my wife says. She, that's, yeah, that's what my wife said. She gets out really early with a dog, and she said there's not anybody around. It's not till later afternoon where everybody, the streets start to fill up a bit. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I start all right, so let's, my playlist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let, all right, I wanna I want a couple of uh, songs off that in just a sec. But before we get to that, we obviously know that festivals, concerts are gonna be cancelled as we head into the summer if they haven't already. What about Ticketmaster and the refund issues? I guess they're not doing refunds until the show is officially cancelled. Yeah, I, I think this is uh Ticketmaster's rather clumsy way of flattening the curve of their own demise. Um, it's, I mean, there's two sides of the stories, of course, and, and, uh, uh, and, and what, what happened was just out of the blue without any fanfare, the Ticketmaster just quietly changed their policy on their sites. Say it once said refunds come with cancellation or postponement. Now the refunds only come with cancellation. And a lot of the shows have been postponed to be announced. And that's left a lot of people in the lurch. Um, people have spent, you know, put hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of tickets on their visas or their credit cards. And now all of a sudden they may be out of work. Um, they mm. don't know whether the, they'll want to see a concert and how many months, times, whatever. And they need the cash and they can't get it back. Now, the other side of that is we're dealing with a multi-billion-dollar international uh, uh, publicly traded company here. Uh, Ticketmaster is part of Live Ent, 
which is the biggest. Um, it's not just concerts either. This is sporting events, theater, Broadway, everything, you know, festivals. Uh, so we're talking about so far um, about 30,000 canceled or postponed shows. Ticketmaster says they've, uh, they've given refunds of about a third of those, I think. The problem is with cancellations and postponements of that size, can they afford to repay everything back? Yeah, because um, you're giving up all that money all at once as opposed to spreading it out over the course of a year. And again, a lot of these... The curve. <laughs> yeah, and ex- flattening the financial curve here, the financial well, I mean, debt. I, I and and I guess a lot of this... A, a lot of these won't be... a publicly traded company New York, uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. They just... I mean, they're plummeting like a rock. This is worse than yeah. uh, the airline industry, really. Yeah. And, and so that being said, is it that being said, um, as I mentioned, these concerts may be a year before they're even rescheduled. Some are saying so. Can they worse. hang on to people's money? Can they hang on to people's money for that length of time? Well, the problem is, it's, it's you know, they are not the promoters of all these shows. Um uh, through Live Nation, they do an awful lot of shows, but they're also just, uh, uh, you know, client. Uh, they have clients who are other promoters. So they have to wait for those promoters to make the cancellation right. and then give them their money back so they can uh, really give it back to the, uh, to the uh, paying customers. And, uh, and, and like I said, it's only going to get worse. They're selling tickets right now for big shows, uh, in Toronto, I know the weekend's got a couple of big ones coming up in uh, uh, Scotiabank Centre at the end of June. I can't imagine those things going on. Yeah. 15,000 people all yeah. uh, 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 rubbing bums in, uh, in Scotiabank yeah. Centre. I can't imagine that happening in June uh, yeah. or July, for that matter. And do you really want to go, even if you paid 300 bucks for a ticket? And, then, yeah. and this is big money. I mean, the, the prices for, for concerts right now are so ridiculously high. So it's a Considering these events are planned months in advance, how come the summer concert series hasn't already been shut down? I mean, here we are coming up to... Uh, the middle of, we're in the middle of April. June isn't that far away. I mean, boy, we'd really have to be out of the woods for that to happen. Uh, wh- can you see them just mass canceling the summer? For the, for example, the summer line of shows. Talk about it, September one. I think we go. I think we go a month at a time. Uh, and I think you know, as I said, there's still concerts planned for June. I can't imagine them happening. I'm I'm yeah. I, I, I'm not expecting any big festivals happening. Uh, in Hamilton, I know we haven't heard from uh, Supercrawl, we haven't heard from uh, 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 from Festival of Friends, but it's hard to imagine those things happening. I mean, think think of the crowds that those events yeah. create, yeah. and 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 we don't know what's going to happen uh, with the coronavirus uh, uh, curve. So so yeah. and it's and it's left people who need the money in the lurch. It's left yeah. a, uh, uh, an entire multi-billion-dollar worldwide industry on the brink. Um, so it's it's not good for anybody. And uh, it's, if you want to listen to music, put your playlist together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give us and a couple I gotta, of songs. I got to tell you, you know, the, this is as you know. Ticketmaster, I mean, like, they're the modern-day dog catcher. Nobody likes them to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This just oh. looks bad. And, and they've All right, so give us a couple of songs off the top. Give us a couple of songs off that playlist. What, the uh, one that's in the paper today? Oh, there's some Almond Brothers. There's some Boz Skaggs in there. There's, a, there's even a Grateful Dead song in there, Jack Straw. <laughs> and uh, next week we're going to look at Motown. Though. That's what I'm going through right now. So. Oh, that's perfect. All right, so Graham's doing playlists from every uh, genre of music, from every uh, from every era. That's great. Graham Rockingham, well, former music... Mostly ju- from the era that I grew up with. <laughs> so it's late 60s, well, that's early perfect. 70s. 
Well, that's all anybody cares about anyway, Graham. Let's be honest. All right, Graham Rockingham, <laughs> former music journalist and critic, retired from the Hamilton Spectator, but still has his hand in it doing the uh, playlist and watch the spec for those. Graham, as always, thanks so much for the time, and you be well, my friend. You be well, too, everybody out there. Take care. Be all safe. right, you take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. We have been answering uh, some of your letters and such. Uh, I, I want to get to these because uh, I'm telling you to, to send me questions and then I'm not answering them for you. Uh, anyway, on uh, Facebook, uh, is it time for Canada to open the re, uh, to open uh, the U.S. border? Uh, to which Ron says, no, in capitals. Catherine, no way. Michael says, this is a new world coming out of Canada. Uh, may have to actually tighten up its border because of different rulings in the two different countries. Haven't heard that yet. Uh, Mike says this lunatic has no friends left, so he's looking to Canada to get suckered into his insanity. Go straight to go straight to you know where. Uh, we are closed, uh, says Mike in capital letters. Now, uh, as far as email, got a couple here. This is an interesting one for uh, the lawyer that we had on in regard to um, bylaws. Uh, are you legally required to give a bylaw officer your name? And the lawyer who we had on said, uh, it's my understanding that under the emergency orders made in Ontario, it is required to, you are required to identify yourself when asked by a bylaw officer because of the emergency orders. Whether that's constitutional or not is another question. People who are asked that should do so uh, and report the interaction to the Canadian Civil Liberties Union, which is fascinating. Uh, Terry writes, I think it's ridiculous that a ticket was issued to a father and son group rollerblading in a parking lot. What is the difference of, of a parking Parking lot as opposed to roads or sidewalks. This is a lot of empty space and not being used. People now have too much time on their hands sitting in front of the news 24-7 and complaining about everything. Isolation has eliminated common sense. There you go. Feel free to offer your opinion. Lots of ways to do that, whether it's Facebook and Twitter on social media, or you can send us a note via the website, uh, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. All right, we've seen this happen. Many people in neighborhoods trying to cheer others up in various different ways. We've seen those with birthdays and such that have had a parade of cars go by their house, uh, honking and beeping and, you know, trying to get together. Uh, in this day of, of social isolation, social distancing. So uh, we've seen this before, and here's another situation in British Columbia. We've seen this happen uh, in our neck of the woods as well, where all of a sudden a local DJ just sets up in the driveway and starts hammering out the tunes. Let's bring in DJ Daddy Mac, based in British Columbia. He was entertaining the, no- the neighbors on the front lawn, and he is with us now. Uh, thanks for the time, Rod. Much appreciated. Hey, no problem. So uh, tell us about your experience. Well, uh, I've been a DJ for 41 years, and right now my business is gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, like a, in, a musician, you want to practice. So if somebody's out in the yard practicing with a guitar or a trumpet or something like that, you don't get bothered. No, you're going to bother them. Well, I put letters on all the houses in the street saying, this is what I would like to do. If anybody's offended or has any problems with it, please let me know. Right. I got nothing but a positive response on it from everybody. Well, I thought everybody. And I left them my uh, business card so they could text me requests. That way they can stay at social right. distance. And so then I did it. I played it for a couple of days. And then the weather got bad because I'm not going to play when the weather's bad. I'm not going to stick my equipment out there. And uh, then suddenly I get this uh call from a bylaw officer saying you can't do this and i said well i got permission from all the people i thought all the people on the street because the kids were out in the sunshine with their parents riding bikes back and forth and just having a good time and they text me requests and i'd play all their songs baby shark dance was one of the big ones because the kids (laughs) (laughs) so was everybody (laughs) social distancing Was everybody social distancing when this was happening? Totally. I mean, the families are families, so they're on, their, on the front lawn. And I have uh, chairs in my front lawn, but I have them two meters apart and about three meters away from me. My speakers are down by my door, and I rate them as DB on the uh, can of health the noise thing, a normal conversation between 65 and 72 DB. Well, I have raised my speakers up, and I went and DB tested them, and I'm no louder than 69 dB hmm. at the street level. So what did the, and how long would you play for? So how long did you do this before you got the complaint? 
Uh, well, I, was, I played three days for about two to three hours because I would go 1 p.m. in the afternoon after lunch, and then I'd respect dinner, and I'd be up and packed away by 4. And so what did the bylaw officer say to you? He said, you can't do this. We've had two complaints. I said, well, I contacted everybody on the block, and everybody loves it. I have kids and parents out in the yard having such a great time, and they text me request. So it's all at social distance. Right. And did, did you find out who was complaining? Like you said, you got... No, they, they, you got... they said they couldn't tell me. Right. And what about sending out another... What about sending... Now, what do the other people on the street think? Have you sent out a text that says, hey, I can't do this, someone's complaining? Absolutely. I got 10 texts back saying, OMG, exclamation mark. <laughs> oh, my. So do you have any idea who it might be? You don't have to name names here, but is there any no, idea? I, I have no idea. Somebody said it was somebody down by the park. Well, I sent my partner and her daughter out on the par- in a car to the park to say, hey, is there noise down there? And I was at the end of my street, and they came back, and they said they couldn't even hear anything down there. So if somebody's down there complaining, it's just because they're old and wants the street to sound like a graveyard. Yeah. So is this, it, was this a noise complaint, or was it a complaint that you're gathering? It was a noise complaint because there was no gathering. And under the bylaw name, it says noisy parties. Well, there's no parties going on because there's mm. no gatherings. It's just music to the street to make everybody right. feel good. So what about doing this but turning it down? I did that. I, even the police came by. I, I went out on Easter because the premier said the Easter bunny was uh, essential service. So I dressed up like an Easter bunny, and I played uh, all day, well, for three hours. <laughs> the uh, police came by right near the end. And they said, this is not to turn it, not to shut it off, just turn it down. So yeah. I turned it down. I told them I had a DV meter and that was only conversation level. And they said, that, well, they were really polite and they're really awesome, but uh, they just yeah. said, no, don't say to turn it down, just turn it down. Right. So where is this now? Are you shut down? Is that it? It's over? The fun's gone? Well, like I sent a letter. Well, yeah, I got a letter back from the bylaw people saying, you know, you're shut down and they'll, they'll give me $200 a day fine if I do it and send me the police and arrest me. So you're done. That's it. You've shut it down. I'm sort of done, but I've got three birthdays. Uh, two houses on either side of me have kids, and they have their birthdays. They've asked me to play. Yeah. So I might push the limit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well good for you, DJ Daddy Back. I uh, went to the court and said, oh, yeah, what did you get arrested for? Oh, making kids happy next door. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe you should dress up in a clown suit or put the Easter Bunny back on. Yeah, nice to do that because Easter Bunny is uh, essential service. Premier said. There you go. All right. Well, good luck to you, DJ Daddy Mac. It, it's it's too bad that you know what started out as a good fun way to to relieve some stress ended up in you know the bylaw people coming out. But this is just the issues we've been talking about lately. Yeah. Uh, DJ Daddy Mac's been with us, based in British Columbia. Whereabouts in BC are you? Victoria, BC. I'm on the island and the paradise here. With it doesn't. It, hot, wonderful. Oh. It, it does not get any better than that. All right, good no, luck to you, DJ Daddy Mac. And uh, if, if anything else brews, let us know. We'd be love to, I'd love to have you back on and hear about it. Thank you, I will. I'd love it. Thank you very much for having me on. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.